What's up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Professional Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Gunter. And if you've been listening to us, you know, every week what we try and do is we try and bring you exceptional people in the arena of athletics or recovery or training in hopes that uh, you can take something from those conversations and use it to reach your own athletic goals or to improve yourself as a person. And I think we've done a really great job of doing that. But after everything that's happened in the last few weeks following the death of George Floyd, you know, I think the entire country and rightly so has just been completely gripped by the fact that we've had our eyes open, that we still have a long way to go with regards to race relations in this country. Personally, you know, like so many other people, I find myself not wanting to just simply be a bystander and let this issue continue to go unchecked. And I've been asking myself, you know, how can I be a part in helping move things forward and hopefully making a difference on this issue? And what I've heard overwhelmingly from members of the black community is that, you know, they're asking that we as concerned members of this country listen and become educated and reflect on what we're hearing. And so while the premise of the show typically is to view this through the arena of sport, I think it's important that we as a society stop and and have these important conversations. And, and that's exactly what we're going to do this week. So to that end, I, I'm so excited to share that we are joined by Dr. Glenn Wacom. Glenn is a general surgery resident at the University of Michigan. Uh, and, you know, he has been on the front lines in Detroit during the entirety of this COVID pandemic. He actually had, was recently published in the New England Journal of Medicine for a piece that he wrote with a couple other team members called Not Dying Alone, Modern, Modern Compassionate Care in the COVID-19 Pandemic. Uh, it, it speaks to his experience being on the front lines and just, you know, the heart-wrenching stories that he's had with those who've been passing away without the comfort of their loved ones. Uh, he's also been featured on CNN, and Glenn was actually my teammate at Princeton University and my roommate senior year. So, so this is someone that I know incredibly well, someone that I trust, someone whose opinion I greatly value. And, you know, while Glenn's background, both as an athlete, because he was a stellar athlete, he was a DB at Princeton and in, in high school, all state and football and soccer. And I think he was even on the U.S. national team under 16. I got to I got to fact check that. I should probably do that before we launch these intros. Regardless, tremendous athlete in his own right. Um, but he's also the son of immigrant parents from Cameroon. And he, you know, he has experience growing up as a black male in today's society. And so while I wish we were having him on the show for any of the other tremendous things that he's done in his life, um, he was so kind in being willing to come on the show and share what it's been like growing up as a young black man in America. You know, he's successful by any measure, but he opens up about the pressure and the realities of what it takes to succeed in today's racial climate. He's also, like so many of us, uh, become a father in this last year and shares how raising his daughter has changed his perspective and changed the urgency with which he feels we need to move these issues forward. So, you know, I, I can't uh, stress enough how important I felt this conversation was. I'll also be honest in saying that, you know, I I feel, uh, I, I suppose, some insecurity in having this conversation, right? Because who am I to try and address such a widespread systemic issue that has haunted this country for hundreds of years? But I think that's exactly the point. 
these conversations are never going to feel easy. They're never going to feel like something that you feel um, educated enough to jump into, but you just have to dive in and hope that you learn something. And I think that's exactly that what happened in today's show. So I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let Glenn speak for himself. I, I really took a lot from it. My eyes were opened. And this is someone that I've known for the last 13 years of my life. So my hope today is that you listen, you get a new perspective, you hear something in here that can, can change your perspective, and hopefully in whatever way uh, feels right to you, cause you to take some course of action, even if that's just approaching your day-to-day and your interactions with other people differently. So with that, without further ado, please welcome Dr. Glenn Walkham to the show. <laughs> So thanks for joining the show, Glenn. I appreciate it, man. Oh, no, man. I, I'm happy to be here. I was hoping I'd be on for like, how do I maintain my chiseled physique at this age? But I guess, <laughs> I guess I, like, I'll, I'll settle for, for this topic for sure. Well, we can, we can always have you back on and, yeah. uh, you know, we already had cream and uh, cream kind of fit that, fit that, uh, mold. So we're happy to fit you in here. Yeah. You know, we all got to play to our strengths. <laughs> oh, dude. So we were, we were catching up beforehand and, uh, I mean, just in general, 2020 has been insane. Like I, what I'm 33. How old are you? 32, 31, 30. 30? Jesus, dude, how are we even friends? Uh, Do you really want me to answer like <laughs> how many years you took to graduate? Yeah, from yeah. Blood <laughs> and all that. No, but it's just like you know, I don't remember a year in my lifetime that even even comes close. I mean, nine eleven was bad, you know, but it was different, and that was very like a one singular unifying event with what felt at the time like a clear cut enemy that we could all rally against. But this has just been like so strange and abstract. It's like COVID. You just don't, there's just so much unknown. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then everything that's going on in the world right now socially. Um, yeah, man. It's just like such a confusing time. Yeah. And I mean, especially because 9 11, it, too, obviously was very traumatic and jarring for us as Americans. But if you think about it, like, People go to war all the time in different countries, mm-hmm. but like the pandemic, you know, like that was like a worldwide phenomenon that hadn't been seen since like the Spanish flu of like 1900. Like this is, yeah. you, you know, and that's not to minimize 9-11, but I'm just saying like this is like even on the scale of like for the world was unique. And then now like this with uh, all these protests and riots, it, it's sort of like back to back to back. It's crazy. Yeah, it's man. absolutely crazy. It is. Well, at least we don't have a uh, hotly contested uh, presidential election coming yeah. up. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Every, I'm sure everyone will just chill out. Um, but yeah, so, you know, th- I mean, there's a couple of reasons that uh, I want to have you on the show. And I know that you want to be a part of this conversation. I mean, I, we could probably spend hours just talking about your experience on the front lines dealing with COVID and uh, all the ramifications that that's had. 
Um, but you know, the, not even an elephant in the room because I feel like the entire country and in some ways the world is so focused on this issue of like racism in America, um, and systematic racism that, you know, like I just, I felt like who better among like my inner circle of friends to like talk about this issue with. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. I, I will say, so I was a sociology major in mm. college and, you know, was African-American studies minor and did my thesis on like race-based health disparities. And my parents mm. told me I would never do anything with that degree. And like, here we are now. And like, it's the confluence of everything. It is the most useful thing I have right now in talking to people about this, but um, yeah, it's crazy times. And, and I think we, we talked about this before. I think this is sort of a great, perfect conversation for just us as, you know, a white father, a black father want to talk about race relations in this country. And like, really for like, what's it going to look like for our children? And then, I mean, obviously yeah. then we can, we can touch on the COVID stuff too, as well. Like that, you know, that's another experience we can talk about. We can talk about it all. Yeah. And I think, you know, like it's, it's so funny because we've been friends for a long time and, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're fortunate at least, you know, we have a shared college experience and like we get exposed to people from all sorts of backgrounds, whether it be like socioeconomic, uh, ethnically, like whatever it is, right. Like we actually got a pretty diverse friend group, which I think is hopefully like broadened our perspectives and kind of like, you know, given us some understanding of other cultures and other people that, you know, maybe I wouldn't have gotten had I not left home. But trying to make sense of everything that's going on right now, um, dude, it's, it's been really hard to get my head around it. And I'll, I'll tell you why. What happened just as like an outside observer to, you know, George Floyd was so traumatically jarring that um, it, it's just like, how does that happen in today's society? Right. And then on top of that, you have all these like the race relations aspect of it. And it's like, okay, like, well, I'm a white person. I don't see this very often in my own day to day. It's not something I think about consciously. And then it's like, the more that like we as a country have been like focused to think about it, it's really caused me to like take pause. And I just, I, I, I don't know the right way to handle it. And, and what I'm hearing, cause I'm trying to listen is people like, dude, like just stop talking for a minute, which is hard for me to do, as you know. Um, so, you know, I, I wanted to have you on and the intent would be like, dude, like, let's just I, like, you're in it, man. You're in it in so many different yeah. levels, like based on your profession, like your background, um, you know, being a, a black male in America. Um, I, I, I really just want to like get your perspective on kind of like how this is impacting you. Yeah, no, it's so it's on many different levels. And I think uh, the George Floyd thing is so sad and so tragic. And I think that is definitely captured the country's mm. attention. And because it's pretty interesting because, you know, African-Americans have been saying for years, the police treat us differently, you know, and, and I, I don't know if white people just didn't believe it because like, you know, they, their interactions with the police, they've always been upstanding citizens. Like, I don't really know what it is. And I'm not saying like the police 
in all police or whatever. But I'm just saying, like, there has always been, even for myself, who like has spent the majority of my definitely adult life in like affluent places. Like I've been pulled over for no reason multiple times. Like I've been a passenger asked for my ID for no reason. Like that's not a typical thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so the reaction I have of, of when the police stop me is like fear, which is not normal for people. Uh, so that like that. And then to see how though the death and to st- I think it was, you know, I've been trying to rack my brain. What makes this one so different? I think the look in the police officer's eyes was as he was like just doing it. And like the people around screaming, saying yeah, stop. Yeah. And just the lack of emotion. Like, I don't know if that's what's pushing people. Which I don't actually have a good reason of like, what about this? That like everyone, even the most right wing person or and it's not even necessarily right wing, but even the, the staunchest deniers of this police mm-hmm. brutality are all like, okay, like this is a problem. This is unquestioned. <laughs> yeah. And so, so it, it's good. It's a reckoning. And so I, I, I started off to say like, and like, I definitely want to talk more about the George Floyd thing, but like, if you actually want to know what's been bothering me and keeping me up at night so much is like the Amy Cooper situation uh, of okay. the woman in the park uh, who, Oh. Basically, pretended to call the cops on, or didn't pretend, call the cops on Christian Cooper, but yeah. pretended like he, she was getting attacked and when she wasn't. Yeah. And the reason why, like, that is um, a black man has been so, and in, in especially for me now as a doctor or whatever, is that she is an educated, apparently progressive woman, graduated from like University of Chicago. Uh, you know, voted for Obama twice, right? Like, so she is like progressive. Mm-hmm. Like she is like, I'm sure like is what you, you know, would call liberal and everything. But like when right. she felt fear or was upset about being told what to do with a black man, she weaponized the police. Like I'm being attacked, called the cops. Like I had a high pitched shrill voice. And that is scary because the cops then could lead to what happened with George Floyd. And so, right, like that's like when you piece it all together and it's like being in the situations with of people of Amy Cooper, when the guy was like a Harvard graduate trying to watch birds in the park that could somehow very real time lead to what happened to George Floyd, because it was a misunderstanding. Like it wasn't like he got busted in the middle of a drug deal and -hmm. like the cops just went too far on arresting him. I mean, like he may or may not have been trying to pay with like a forged $20 bill. And like that led to like that. That's crazy. Right. right. And so, and so this woman who's claiming to be attacked and like screaming at the top of her lungs, like, can you imagine the energy the police would have come in with that situation? And so it's, it's real world consequences. And that's what scares me is that yeah. like, you, uh, like you constantly feeling like you're as a black man, I'll uh, like sum this like long soliloquy up is though, is that like I spend my whole life a large majority of my life trying not to be threatening to white people Hmm. so man so like that's like a loop there on that one (laughs) and you know let me ask is that is that something that like i guess how you said your whole life like is that something you've consciously always made an effort to do like were you instructed that like that was something that would is required of you because you're black or is it just like an awareness of like what consequences could be 
Yeah, no, it's 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 all the above. Like it is mm. when you when I was a kid, um, and I don't even like remember. Like there used to be things where, like in, in school, you you get voted on for. I like I forget like you know like it's smartest kid in class not necessarily smartest kid in class yeah, but yeah. I just remember there was something in school which I felt very entirely sure that I should have won like based mm-hmm. on like the credentials of it and I like was in like middle school at a majority white school and like I didn't win like and I was livid and my parents were just like listen like this is the way the world is you got to work twice as hard to get half as far being black because just like you, everything is seen, everything you do is not seen as valuable. So like, that's like lesson number one um, that you start to learn. You also start to hear the way the white people around you talk about black people. Like, you mm-hmm. know, like they're just like, even it like it's on the, like, the sly, whether they, 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 they see something on TV and like, they just make an offhand comment about like, Oh, like shouldn't have been in the hood or like, like, and just the way they see African-Americans as threat. And one, it's not necessarily all their fault. Like they're portrayed in the media constantly in a very different and biased way. But, and then, so you realize though, when you start being really friendly and saying thank you and being super polite, that you like people start liking you they're like oh this is a like you know like your world changes your perception of when you put on this extra nice attitude people's perceptions of you change from what then they see other young people and you know that that's big it's it's big it's in, it's informative you start to view the world we du bois calls it as a double consciousness is like it's not only you see yourself how you see yourself internally, but then you're always trying to see yourself through the view of the majority people, which is white. And so it's like you sort of are playing and try to fit into both of those worlds. Yeah. It's exhausting. Well, that's what I was going to ask. So was it always um, like a conscious effort? Because here, here's why I ask knowing you, I mean, you're one of the funnest people to be around your night. It seems like you're naturally nice, polite, uh, very charismatic. Like to me, it would appear as though it's like, dude, this is just Glenn. You want to have a good time? Like bring Glenn around. We're going to have a great time. Like any crowd doesn't matter. Um, but I don't know, man. Like, is that, is that not necessarily the case? Does it appear like depend upon the environment that you're in? Like, no, I, so I would say like, I, so I would say a lot of that I think is, is like, you know, I like being light, nice and polite. Everyone should be nice and super polite. And and so around friends, it's definitely not that at all, but it's just that sort of heightened, very self-aware of like how I'm looking, how I'm dressing when you're in predominantly white spaces and like what you're talking about and like learning about things that like you don't necessarily have an interest in, but it's just like, you know, you got like to fit in with like the culture of where you're at. And, you know, that stuff, that part of it is knowing um, how people see you. So I'll give you a concrete example. We're not talking about like an abstract. I remember freshman year of college, uh, walked into French class the first day. I was with uh, right next to a teammate of ours, Matt Ransom. We're both wearing regular clothes, nothing 
athlete wise. We were just like sitting there in class. And I remember the first day the teacher goes, he looks directly, he's in a spiel and he looks directly at me. He's like, if you ever have to miss class for a sporting event, it's no problem. Just let me know a week in advance. I, like and nowhere did I ever say like I was there playing like it was just like he had just come with a, like a decision that I'm here in his class because I am an athlete you know and it happened to be true like I, I was an athlete but like my teammate sitting right next to me like he didn't look at him he didn't say the same right. thing to him he didn't ask anyone who's an athlete in the yeah. class because like I actually think if I'm not mistaken Lauren Watley was in that class like a soccer, female soccer player um, you know like and stuff like that is just so infuriating because it was like in mm. his mind, I'm here for that reason. And like, that's this kind of stuff though, like sticks with you and it bothers you. Cause then it's like, does everyone now think I only belong here because I play a sport. Right. And, and, and that level of always having to question, you know, what does everyone else think about me is tough though, which I don't, I don't think most people, like, I don't think if we were talking about your life experience that like you probably felt that, from like as long as you could remember. Yeah. Well, and you know, and it, this is like the hard part about the conversation, right? Because like, if we were normally having a conversation about anything else besides race, I'd feel totally fine jumping in and saying, Oh, I have a shared experience or, you know what? That reminds me of how I felt in certain situations. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's like during this time, you know, I want to be so sensitive to the fact that like, I can't relate. And I'm not saying that in like a pandering way of like, but like, I really mean it. Like, you know, I was talking about with Sonia, it's like, you know, we can try and make sense of this all we want. The fact of the matter is like, we don't have the experience. We don't understand what it was like. Um, and that's why I think this conversation is so important. So like I can relate to being in situations where I feel uncomfortable or like feeling out of my depth and having to act a certain way. Uh, anyone who knows me when I showed up at college, I mean, I was probably wearing flannel. My hair was probably like, you know, <laughs> if not yet down to my shoulders, it was on its way there. And I definitely didn't look like I belonged in that environment, but like in no way does that relate to, you know, like what you're describing. Like there was very, no, little, I, very little on the line from that so, perception. You know what I mean? So, like, so actually I like, I sort of want to disagree a little, little bit. I think that feeling is the exact same feeling, but the difference is like, that's my entire life, right? Yeah. Like you can relate, like you definitely are like, that's the exact same feeling of being out of place, being like, you know, like, what are like, what are people thinking about me? How am I being viewed? Like that feeling that you got initially when you showed up and like, definitely when you walk into a new job, like in a new situation, like, like, I'm not saying you don't ever get that feeling of being judged or like seeing it, but the like what it is, though, is that like it's selective situations where you can choose and it gets turned off frequently. Right. And I'm saying it's like it almost never gets turned off uh, for me. And the, the thing about it, too, is that it's not even sort of just a subjective feeling. So, you know, there's guy, Brian Williams, I think, did. There's a lot of people uh, who, who who've done the study on ambulatory blood pressure. Right. Uh, and so like they basically had people, young men, I think that in the study, uh, white and black men wear blood pressure cuffs and like checking their blood pressure throughout the day. And, um, so there's two things about it, like in levels of times where they felt perceived discrimination, blood pressure in the African-American participants went up across mm -hmm. the board. 
two, though, um, even when the blood pressure is really like similarly high during the day because you're active, you're up at night when they were sleeping. African-Americans blood pressures did not drop as much as the white participants is that. And, you know, the how scientists explain this is that they're at such a heightened state of like like this, of feeling being judged and in preparation of thinking about like what's going to happen, how am I being viewed, what I'm going to do, is that their body just stays in that fight or flight response longer. And so then this this stuff like that, like that just shows leads to higher rates of hypertension, you know, at least Mm. in bad cardiovascular disease, not to mention like rates of obesity. And so then, and then uh, like I'll just really kind of tie this in. And then, so then when you see people who are like, Oh, well, like African-Americans are dying disproportionately higher of COVID. And then you hear people say, well, like, yeah, but that's because they have all these pre-existing conditions that are more, but then you got to be like, well, why do they have pre-existing conditions that are more? Mm-hmm. And then, then you have to like really delve into that. Like, cause there's I'm nothing, active. yeah, there's nothing, there's just nothing inherent. It's not because you're black that like you, like you're at a higher rate and uh, to really use this sociology degree. So my senior thesis was on, like I said, race-based health disparities. And my whole project was looking at uh, first generation immigrants to this country. So like, for example, my parents born in, born and raised in Cameroon, West Africa, came over here for college. Uh, so people like that, the study showed when they first get to this country, they have equivalent health outcomes to white Americans. Hmm. But it shows within one generation, so me, all that health advantage that I have is gone. I now have the equivalent health outcomes to African-Americans who have been in this country like forever. And really? so like, so then you have to be like, well, it's definitely wow. not genetic then, right? There, there's something out, there's something about being in America that hmm. that affects black people differently than affects white people. And so, you know, like, yeah. So then they get more pre-existing conditions, they have more problems. And like, then they suffer when COVID comes around, they suffer more. But it's not like it's not something like, oh, like just throw up our hands like that's just the way it is. It's like we got to fix the underlying causes here. Yeah. So, man, there's so many things to talk about. And I mean, I almost want to circle back. It's like with everything that's gone on with George Floyd. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that has dominated, I think, like, um, you know, the consciousness of America for the last week. Mm-hmm. And rightly, rightly so, in my opinion, like it's, it's so tragic. It's so shocking. And, you know, you made reference to it. Like it wasn't just like the act that occurred that was so horrendous. It was like the way in which it occurred and the look on his face and the lack of emotion and just all these like things that I feel like make it just so um, painful. The fact that like, that previous issue with the woman in the park, the fact that like that right now is also what's keeping you up at night. Um, I think says a lot. Right. And I I heard it said today, you know, like that woman knew how to like weaponize, uh, that man's, you know, I don't know what the right way to say. I don't even know the right way to say it is like, you know, the fact that he was black, like she knew how to weaponize that on the phone. And to your point, 
she was someone who was progressive. Right. So it, it's, I don't know, man, my head just keeps getting in a pretzel. It's like, have you thought at all, or have you ha- tried to have discussions with like people like how, how do you even begin to combat that? Or, you know, like, what do you hope to like come from this that could hopefully start to like change some of these like implicit biases and the way that people are like interacting with each other? Yeah. I mean, so I think the main thing is, uh, two things. So I hope now it is and not, what not it, to put you on the spot is like, dude, how yeah. do we solve this? Because it's yeah, no, like rooted no, no, no. in hundreds of years of, yeah. Yeah. But I think though, like the big, the, the thing that's like made me so happy about this is that the, the want now or the interest now in a lot of white people of just getting educated on the problem. Like so many people are like, Oh, like what are these resources? Like what, like can we read to sort of understand like what's going on, what's behind it? Like, you know, I think you look at like Amazon's best seller book all this week and last has been like these two books, white fragility and how to be an anti-racist. And it's Hmm. sort of looking at racism in this country and like white fragility is all about why it's so difficult for white people to talk about race. Um, you know, and like those, it's just to learn more about the problem. And I think, so what I've always felt that one of the issues is, and especially when people want to talk about like white privilege and the reason, you know, some, so many people are like, they just get turned off by the idea is -hmm. because like people think those terms mean that, the white people firm like didn't work hard to get where they are. Like, right. Mm-hmm. Like I think when people, there's plenty of, of like plenty of people in their jobs who work super hard to get there and they feel like they have, they grinded for everything that they got. They barely got it. You know, they remember all the times they were downtrodden and, and like they made it to where they are. And they, they're like, I've earned this. And here black people are saying like, it's privileged. Like it was handed to me. Mm-hmm. And like, that's not, like, and that's not what the majority in it, in its best form when people are really talking about it, no one is saying that. Like, you know, like yeah. people are saying what people are saying is we had to run a hundred yard dash and you started on the 40. You didn't ask to start on the 40. You didn't leave early, but you just got to start on the 40 yard line. And so when you win or when you're ahead, like you can't be like, oh, it's because I worked really hard and like I practiced and ran my sprint and I'm fast. It's like, well, yeah. And you started 40 yards ahead. And like yeah. just acknowledging that is what like it, which it makes it hard for people to do because, you know, like they don't see it. But like when you look at it, like when you look at all the studies in this country, like so like there's like a there's a very jarring study where they looked at um, they sent in applications, the exact same job applications to jobs. Yeah, you might remember this from class in college, where the only thing different was the name, and one was like a clearly black name, like mm-hmm. Jamal or something very stereotypically black. Right, and the white applicants got called back at four times the rate of the black applicants with the exact same application. So yeah. much so that they even put the white applicant with a criminal record, and they still got called back than the black applicant with the same record with no criminal with the same application with no criminal record. And that's crazy. And so, right. Like if you like, so like that was just a study, but imagine in real life, right. right, You get called back, you get the job, you work really hard, you advance in that job. 
And then the, the black guy who never even got called back is like, well, like, listen, I couldn't get a job. And you're like, well, like, I, you know, I worked real hard. Like I put in a bunch of applications. I got called back. Like I interviewed, I did like, you know, like you don't feel like anything was given to you, but like, like no one's saying it's your fault, but like the situation was like, we're the exact same applicant and you were four times likely to get a call back. And, and so you have to acknowledge that like there's reasons why like those people are left behind. And, and so I think now what's been heartening about this conversation and it's hard to know with social media if you're just like in your own silo because you you're just listening and seeing posts of the friends who think like you but it seems broad that like people are starting to like accept that this idea is real and want to learn more about it which is different and so like that's that's the part that like makes me a little bit hopeful that when people start thinking about these issues then they're not going to be against trying to think about ways to counterbalance them. I think people will be more open to them if they like can start acknowledging that this problem is real. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's such a good point. And you said something earlier, you know, the fact that your, your parents basically told you like, you're going to have to work twice as hard to get half as far, you know, like uh, I just have to imagine like mentally that's exhausting, you know, just again, in situations where I felt like I was slighted or I was not getting recognized for putting in the work, like it's really frustrating. You know what I mean? Um, and I think, you know, like what I'm hearing is like to feel like that, not only like to carry that weight, but that that's an expectation. I mean, I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth. Like that's, that's got to wear on you. Oh, hundred percent. It's exhausting is the right word. And like to compound it, sort of like really just add to it. And it's then when you do succeed and get places, right. And then to have people think like, well, like, oh, you're there because you're black and like you're the diversity hire. And like, and like, so like that even compounds it, right? Like, so you're like working yeah. super hard and like you work twice as hard and you get places and then like you hear people say it and then you start to think it like, man, like, do, like, did I like, deserve this or like is that the reason like they picked me out like of this thing and like to even like so like to think about it even in your success like you like you doubt um Hmm. and 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 that and like all of that is is very very tiring it's exhausting and um it's problematic so and that's a good segue too because you know to, to fast forward people a little bit like you have achieved quite a lot uh, at a very young age, right? Um, you got into a fantastic med school after Princeton. Um, you're now at the university of Michigan, right? And you're in your residency and then you were just published and I'm totally going to butcher it because I don't have my notes in front of me. Um, but you were just published, like you were just on CNN. Um, you know, so like you really are a shining example, not of just like a black man who can succeed in America, you're an example of like a young man who can accomplish incredible things through hard work. And I have the benefit of knowing you and I lived with you senior year and I saw the amount of work that it took for you to pull all those things off. Um, you know, there were days while we were out sitting around drinking in the quad and your, your six floors under Firestone putting in work on your senior thesis. You know what I mean? Like, so I've seen it, I, I guess, you know, in my mind watching that, I was like, well, dude, Glenn's just a hard worker, you know? Um, 
I, I never at any point, I guess, did race factor in to my assumption as to like why you were putting in such a high degree of work. But like, did that factor in in your mind at that time? Or was this again, just, you know, to some extent, you're also just wired in that way. Like, yeah, did that play yeah. any role or? Yeah, it, it's hard to say. Um, I don't like, you know, I don't. I, you know, when you're doing it, there plays a little bit of a role in in the extent of where, like, when you're worried about if you fail, that, like, you are fulfilling all those people's stereotypes and ideas who didn't think you belonged in the first place, hmm. that you're just, like, making that come true. So, like, a little bit of that plays into it of, like, not wanting to... Um, sort of fail at it like yeah and and working hard to get it done and and i sort of too i think the one of the best things that going to princeton um with you had has got me to see the world is that like i no longer for the most part i would say and this may or may not actually be true but like like what i tell myself is like i no longer care if people think i deserve what i get right because mm-hmm. We've been at an institution like one of the best in the country, and we know there's a ton of people there that don't deserve to be there. Like you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like we uh, like I, like we know people who get right. in there because like their parents donated, and like they are yeah. not the best and brightest of, like that the world has to offer. And like we know that they get jobs after based on nothing that they had to do. And so like I have seen with my own two eyes many time over that the like a ton of people who are where they are now aren't there because like they quote unquote deserved it. Like I had lots and lots of help. And so like now it's like, I don't care if you hired me because like you needed a black guy, like I'm going to go kill this job and make the most out of it because like, that's the way it works. Yeah. And so I think that part is, was like the greatest life lesson that I sort of, I lost that little bit of chip on like, once I get something of like really a Karen, like, how other people perceive if I deserve it. But like I do, there is this thing of like, like not wanting to fail, like no one wants to fail, but like there's this other element where I feel responsible for representing um, black people. And when I do some things. Yeah. I could understand that just from a perspective of like, you know, you want to be a good representation of your community, you know, like on a, like what you often see is like people love to rep their hometown. Um, you know, it's like a much, uh, exaggerated version of that. And that like, you know, you are a black man in America who's made it really far. It's like, I guess, you know, you want to like show like that, Hey, like, you know, not only am I as an individual, like, do I deserve to be here? And like, I'm among the best, but like, I want to be a shining example of like what other black men in America are capable of. Like, I hope I'm not like, overstepping and and putting more on you than what you're trying to say. But yeah. Yeah. And it's true. And it's like, you know, like I like, I can't remember this but when I heard it, but like, you know, what we want too is like for very, like we like equality is the day where like very mediocre black people get far in life. Like you, like, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. all like, like you think about like, you know, I don't know, get, but like to get, the people in positions of power who are African-American, like you read all their CVs and it's impressive. Like, yeah. you know, like they went to all the top places and like they somehow went 
And like, that's not necessarily the same when you like read some of these other people. And like, you mm-hmm. just like, you even think about like, just like, like we like sports, right? You think about like NFL coaching hires, right? Like how many like mediocre white coaches keep getting jobs? Like, you know, like, yeah. like that have shown nothing on their resume, but like, it's like black coaches have to be so great at everything and they don't get a bunch of second or third chances like charlie strong for a while was like a big name in college football like dude can't get a major job anymore mm-hmm. um and like lots and lots of stuff but like other people just keep getting jobs like and so it's just like it's stuff like that that you sort of um want that the ability to not have to be twice as good to get just the same job you know, you just want like you wish you could just be just normally as good and get the same job. Yeah. Yeah. Have, have you heard of the Warren Harding effect? It sounds so, familiar. So I was a history major and uh, I mean, it's kind of what you were describing. I think by all like, you know, measures of what a good president is, he was he was painfully average, mediocre. Some would probably describe it as worse. But basically, like he rose to prominence because, I mean, he looked the part. He was like very uh, senatorial, I think is the word. Yeah. Um, Like tall, white, handsome, just looked like a leader. And because of that, like it just kind of like inexplicably, he just like kind of rose to prominence and people rallied around him. And he just kind of like dumbfoundedly found himself becoming president of the United States. Um, You know, and that's like an extreme example. And it's, it's really interesting if you go back and read about it, but. Yeah. No, I hear you. Like, did you see I, that? Th- I don't know if you saw that Theranos documentary with like Elizabeth Holmes. Like, oh, like do it is this lady is like at Stanford and she has like this crazy idea about like running, basically taking one drop of blood and running like a million different labs on it. And like mm-hmm. the idea is asinine. It just doesn't work. Like you like it's just it, it, it legitimately just doesn't work. And like. But like she is just like power of persona. She like looks the part. She has a bunch of fancy friends. Like yeah. none of the science is working, but people are still like prominent people are still giving her a ton of money. And you're just like she like the documentary is just very clear. She has nothing back in her, but like she just pitches it well. Looks like she knows what she's talking about. Has some degrees, and you're just like man, like just the power of persona can just really kind of get you places yeah. if you're white. If you and like, but but that's the thing, like that that, yeah. that what it looks like that person, the person you expect to look that looks presidential or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, senatorial is definitely a, like a white dude or a white woman, and maybe, but mainly a white dude. Yeah, no, yeah, you, you're right, man. And uh, you know, it's funny, and I almost let this go by, but like this idea of white privilege. It is, it is uncomfortable because to your point, right? What it might sound like on the surface level is like, Hey, you were handed this, you, you know, and, and on the other side, the white person's like, no, I worked really hard. Um, so that like, you know, there's some cognitive dissonance around like being okay with that. And what I, what I've been trying to wrap my head around is like, okay, Objectively looking back, I think there's pretty clear evidence that black people have been held down. 
right? <laughs> you can you can look at literal <laughs> segregation. You can you can look at I mean uh, to go back to our slavery, which uh, I still like clearly echoes through like our current environment today in terms of like the cause and effect of everything from like socioeconomic outcomes for people, where they live, how they live. Um, you know, but it's like, okay, so what happens when we accept white privilege, you know, like uh, as a white person, like, dude, I care. Like I really care a lot. Um, and I, I feel guilt in that. I'm like, man, have I not been doing enough? And the answer is probably no, because I haven't had to. Right. So it's like, what do you feel, or I guess like, you know, of people within the black community who like you feel are like really being, being conscientious about this, like, what do you feel like the desired outcome is from that? You know? Yeah. So the, uh, that's great. So the acknowledgement is, a it goes so long, just, just of acknowledging that it's a little bit tougher. So one, it helps when you're, when you're evaluating you, if you now are in a hiring position and you're evaluating applicants, right. And you're looking at them and then you're, you're seeing differences in applications. You're like, well, like all things being equal, this candidate's CV is a little bit better, but like all mm -hmm. things aren't equal, right? Like this person, you start, you can start to factor in like this person has overcome so much to even get close to this. Like maybe there's something about that, that like I'd want them. Like mm. they might not necessarily, like their GPA might not be the thing, like their standardized test score might not be as high, but like the fact that they came, overcame so much of institutionalized racism to even get to a point where they got a fighting chance, like maybe I'll take them. But then that, that's one thing. And then there's another thing too, is then when you start, people start talking about policies to address some of these differences, like yeah. in like how we appropriate money to our schools, like how voting yeah. rights and gerrymandering, then you start being like, okay, like, you know, all right, like we gotta, we really do gotta readdress this thing. Right. Cause like schools are funded based on property taxes, property taxes are based on like how expensive the house you live, but like who, like who gets access to live in these wealthy communities, mm -hmm. knowing that like, even black people, even with the same credit score at banks, aren't given the same rates for loans. And so like, because yeah. like, and so like when you start to see that, it's like, well, okay, like maybe we got to adjust, maybe now we got to adjust how we give money to schools and we, like, we think about it. Like, you know, we got to redistrict things going around because it's just not fair because the policies we put in place aren't fair. And so then like we start thinking about that and like you get people talking about different plans, like then you start to being open to the idea and then you start to vote and you start to to think some of these changes in the society that we got to make up for some of the institutionalized damage that we've done. We got to fix it. And yeah. so um, I think that's it. I, I mean, I don't think like. I don't think it means like, oh, like I don't like I give my job away to a black guy because like I had white privilege. Like, like no one's like saying that. But it's right. just like recognizing like when you're hiring people, like maybe the hiring committee shouldn't be four white dudes. Like maybe mm -hmm. we should have a diverse perspective on figuring out who gets to work at our company. Yeah. Like maybe when I go look at a school for my kid one of the questions I'm asking is like, what's the racial breakdown? And if there's no black people here, like let's ask some questions, like why not? And like, what right. are we doing about it to change it? And like, that's tough. Like that's tough to do. 
Um, but it's like, it's just thinking about it and putting, holding people accountable to it. Yeah. And you said this as well, you know, like for me, um, you know, I'm, I'm well-educated or they, they sure tried their best, <laughs> and, you know, and like, I'm fortunate in that I feel like I, I do have a diverse group of friends, uh, people that I care a whole heck of a lot about. And I'm embarrassed in that, like, in, in some ways, I don't even have like the vernacular to like discuss this articulately. You know what I mean? Like, I, I gotta be honest, man. Like, it was really important to me that we had this conversation, but then like, dude, I was starting to get nervous. I was like, man, I didn't realize how uneducated I am on the topic. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so one thing, and now I'm speaking from my own perspective is it's certainly raising awareness and it's, it's causing some action. And I know it's not, you know, uh, just for me and my group. Cause I I've, I've had a lot of conversations about this, with people within my inner circles um, who normally this would never come up. It would never be on the docket. Right. But like the conversations happening from, from like a, a white man's perspective, you know, it's, it's now trying to come to terms with like, all right, well, how do I help in a way that's not just like showing face, you know, like I, I think, and I'd be interested to get your opinion on this too. Social media has been really interesting this week. People trying to show support. I think uh, well-intended trying to show solidarity. And I know some of the execution of like Blackout Tuesday didn't work the way that maybe people hoped it would because it, it blocks some people from getting some good content. Um, you know, but like, I don't even know what the right question is. It's like, are, are you feeling or do you feel like members in the black community are feeling like, there is like a genuine upswell of support from like other races and knowing that America, you know, white Americans make up 75% of this country. Like, do, does it really feel like there is a genuine upswell of support that maybe wasn't there in the past? Yeah. I mean, or I think it, like, it's still too soon to tell. It's definitely too, too soon to tell to sustain. I mean, I, I would say definitely in the, the last week, there's no one who could say that there's not been a genuine diverse group of people who have cared about this issue. Like when you go like to protest, like, you know, there's protests out in South Dakota, how many black people are out in South Dakota? Like, yeah. so like whoever's protesting isn't like, you know, it's not a bunch of black people out there. Uh, but, <laughs> but like, you know what I'm saying? But like, you know, like you look on TV, you look at like any of these, these rallies and protests, you know, it's people of all kinds of different races in a way that wasn't before. And I, I think too, um, but the, but the problem is it's, it's hard to know. And right now we're in it. If it's sustained, it feels different. It definitely, it, it's unlike anything that like I've experienced in my lifetime. I mean, you have people posting like all the black businesses, all the black or black owned restaurants in like their neighborhood and being like, Hey, like you, you gotta go support this by like eating there or like buying from yeah. like their stores. Like that's, I mean, that's the stuff that makes a huge difference. Like when you support that economy there and you're putting your money there mm. is a big deal. Cause like, that's how people like rise and gain wealth and accumulate all that stuff. And so, um, so yeah, we'll see. I mean, we'll see like two months around three months. And I like if, if people have just sort of forgotten it, like there's the next thing that people have moved on to. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm hopeful though. I'm hopeful bec because I think so much, like the reason I'm hopeful is because 
so much, at least of what I'm seeing, and again, I don't know if this is my own echo chamber, is that people want the education on yeah. like the problem. Like people yeah. want to learn and read about it. It's not just, hey, donate $20 to the Minnesota bailout fund. Like that is definitely part of it. Like people are definitely donating money to like distinct causes um, bailing out protesters, which is fine. But so much of it is like, here are some resources to read about this problem. And I think that's what really changes. It's like if you sit down and you read a whole book, like if you if you read like White Fragility or How to Be an Anti-Racist, then you do have the um, you do have the vernacular and you have like, you know, like, you know, enough to have a conversation and like you could start having a deeper level of conversation because you're coming from the same sort of background, knowledge and experience. And I think that's what's been heartening is that people it, the people don't want just the quick, like, let me black on my Instagram thing. And like, like, I appreciate that for sure. But like, I also appreciate being like, here's a, here's some things to read. Here's some articles to read. Here's some information. And, uh, and I think if people do their due diligence by reading and digesting that, and then um, I, we'll probably talk about this later, but then like talking to their children about it, I think is like, like the biggest thing that, for me, that's been so important is that, um, you know, not trying to sort of protect your kids, of, but like what's going on. Like this is a big thing in like their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like you said, like this is going to be in the history books. And I like guarantee you, like, you know, when uh, your kids are in college or high school, like they're going to study this year. Oh, yeah. The dumpster fire it is. But then like they're going to come ask you questions like you because you know how like kids you get super righteous when you get like that. You get a little bit of knowledge. You start thinking like you understand the world and you're going to be like, yo, what were you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, when everyone else was like protesting and making change, like what side of history were you on? Like same thing with yeah. like even like little things like gay rights too. Like I've like you know I've seen my like I've seen my parents evolve on that issue of gay rights. Like you mm-hmm. know, and it, it because it's 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 messed up. Like can you like like now can you seriously say like oh yeah like gay people shouldn't be able to get married? That sounds ridiculous. But like yo like right. even ten years ago like that was. Right. Not an uncommon thought about like oh, our yeah. parents' generation. Like, you know, ugh, like, you know, like I, I distinctly and like I don't really want to blow up my, my dad here. Like <laughs> he's a great guy. But like I distinctly remember there was like like a kissing scene on TV and they were like two men were making out and my dad was like, I can't believe they show this on TV. And I'm just like oh, yeah. you know, like what? <laughs> like like that is like yeah like you know but now but like the other like the other day he was like he just like what did he he was talking about maybe taking my little nephew to like the pride thing he was like wanted to know if he thought it'd be safe to and like i'm just like that is such a a huge evolution evolution so people can evolve and like and so that like stuff like that kind of gives me hope and like i really um you know, I mean, obviously, like racism has been going on for a long time and people haven't changed yet. But like, I don't know, maybe maybe this is like a big step in the right direction. Yeah. And uh, I've been thinking about this a lot. And I feel like the reason that all of this has my head just in such a pretzel, it's like I, I, so I really try uh, to be objective. I really try and like take a step back, take the emotion out of it. Um, in like the way I approach most things in life. Right. And I think what we're seeing, and you already said this, like almost unanimously, there, there is no one in the country who defends the actions of that police officer. 
right? Like unanimously, it's like, dude, charge that guy now. Like just yeah. the, the, the thing we're arguing about is like, how quick can you get it done? Like it's taken too long basically. And I don't think there's yeah. anyone fighting on that. Right. So it's like, okay, what, what are we really fighting about here? So it's like, okay, police brutality for sure. The way the police have like interacted with like African-Americans and specifically like black males, right? Like it needs to change. Um, and I don't think anyone is like really pushing back on that. At least anyone who's being like thoughtful about it, you know? And so those, those feel like all things that we can rally behind. But what's so hard is it's like the real underlying issue of like racism, and like, how do we finally like stamp this out, you know? And it just, it just feels like such an invisible enemy that's so difficult to like take down, you know, I, I just keep being like, man, like how, how do I actually make a change? Um, and I don't have a good answer. You know, I, I think like to your point, like trying to get educated, trying to have thoughtful conversations with people, um, but you, you know, you also said it like, dude, it's been around a really long time. <laughs> yeah. You know? Like, yeah. how do we, how do we make it stick? Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know. And maybe we but start I, talking. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, no. I mean, and, and, but like, so some of it too, like though, I, I really, really think, man, it's it, a lot of it. Some people would disagree with it though, but I think a lot of it, it's exposure. I mean, I think is like we are so segregated, like our schools now, um, Nicole Hannah-Jones from like uh, the New York Times does this great piece on this. But like our schools now are more segregated than when Brown versus Board of Education was passed. Like it is more segregated now than it was like when like the laws are passed for it. And like I just like we just genuinely don't interact enough with people of other races in meaningful context, like in like yeah. every day to day, like you're going to school together, you're working together, you're living next to kid, uh, each other. Like, you know, like, I mean, yes, you like, yes, you see black people, like you like go out in the world and like, but like, I'm talking about like in a meaningful, like grow up together, like you, you come hang out at my house, sort of when we were kids like that. And that doesn't happen because they don't go, kids don't go to school together. Like that's just like the, and stop like they don't go to school together and so like they don't get this genuine interaction where they like get to know each other's families and get to know them at a deeper level and so like they form their opinions on other groups from like what they see on tv what they hear uh which isn't always like very flattering and mm -hmm. so i mean i mean i think to me that's like what i find the biggest thing and it, it's just representation it's like making sure that the, the proportion of people in society match the proportion of people where you live around. Mm. Um, and it's so, it's so hard. And too, as like a black man, myself, I, you know, I struggle with this when I think about my kind and I, uh, my wife, we, we struggle with this when we think about what we want, like where we want to live and where we want to put our daughter in school. It's like, do you, go to quote unquote, like the best schools in like the all white neighborhoods because that gives you the best advantage. Or like, do you like keep her somewhere where she's going to be exposed to a diverse group of people? And it might not necessarily be like the best school, like what's more important. And so I don't know. It's hard. It's hard. We, not, we like, she's 10 months, uh, 11 months. So 
God, we have so long to figure it out. But like you could tell it weighs on our minds. We talk about this like even now. But like, yeah. these are the things that like you, you start to have to think about what's important to you, like what you, what you're exposing your children to. Yeah, I know. And, and that's been uh, the hard part of this, too, is and you and I caught up a little bit yesterday about this. But, you know, looking back at like big like historical events, um, I think we both do this. Uh, you know, like I put myself back there. I'm like, well, how would I have reacted? I know how I like w- would want to have acted. I know how I believe I think I would have. But when push came to shove, you know, like when it was going against the grain of society or whatever, it's like, would you have just been complicit? You know, even just being complicit by like not taking any action. Um, and for me, I, I sense that we're in like a big historical moment. I sure hope we are right. I mean, clearly like what's happening across the country in terms of like our cities on fire and like, you know, just like the massive spread of protest and unfortunately subsequent riots. And maybe we can talk about that too. You know, like it feels like something really big is happening and everyone in the world now, even with a pandemic as the backdrop is like focused on this issue, you know? And I was like, well, shit, I'm in it what am I going to do? Like, am I just going to sit here and maybe like post enough, uh, on social media? So people like, don't think I'm racist by not participating, (laughs) you know, or like, am I going to try and find a way to like, at least be a a part of the conversation? And like, I'm, I'm very fortunate in that. A, I have a, I already had a podcast, you know, so I have some sort of platform at least to like engage in dialogue. Um, you know, but like, that was a driver, but like having kids, I really was like, well, what are my kids going to think when they look yeah. back and, they, and to your point, cause they are going to come back. They're going to ask what 2020 was like, you know, what am I going to have to say? Be like, yeah, there was a massive change. And I just kind of like hoped it worked out. <laughs> I was pulling for, I was pulling for the good guys, but you know, like it just happened. <laughs> yeah. Like I agreed with it. But uh, I I don't know. I didn't really want to stick my neck out there. And I got a pretty good thing going. It kind of would have made me feel a little weird around some of the groups I run in. And I just, yeah, I didn't want to talk about it. Um, They do. That's that's a huge, a huge driver for being like, no, man, I want to be present in this thing. Uh, And then present can mean lots of different things. You know, like I have a podcast, so this made a lot of sense. Like, dude, let's let's try and have a conversation, give people some perspective that maybe they didn't have access to, to your point, because like, shit, we're segregated. We're segregating ourselves. Um, You know, like, so I guess what I want to throw to you is you've already lived uh, your life up to this point, dealing with a lot of this prejudice and having to operate within this environment. But like, how is having a daughter now maybe like reshaped your perspective? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's now given me a sense of urgency that this has to change. Mm. Right. I sort of like, you know, I've sort of made my peace with like, I will live my life, the remainder of my life with this double consciousness. I will like probably forever have this interaction with the majority society where I'm always feeling like I got to put on a performance in order not to be judged. I feel like my interactions with the police for the most part will always be like, there will be always part of me that's on a high intensive awareness for like what's going down. Like, you know, I've accepted that like 30 years old, probably gonna be like that way the rest of my life. 
okay, that's fine. Yeah. But it's been like, yeah, like I can't have my daughter at 30 feeling the same exact same things. Like mm-hmm. she can't feel the same stress and the same burden to impress like um, people around be- because like, that's just not right. Like, you know, like you see her and she is so, and it is so happy, so innocent. Like, and it's just like, yeah. we got to fix this thing. You know? And like, and, and the thing is, um, cause it's the same, man. It's the same. And that like the, the same things that like, you know, I want for my kids, the same thing everyone wants for their kids to, to, to have the best opportunity in this world. And I just want her to feel safe and, and loved. And so like that sort of made me be like, okay, well, like, let's have these conversations. Like, let's go into these spaces uh, and talk to these people about this problem. Like, you know, I'm a surgery resident. So I talked to my entire department, like had this big sort of similar conversation we're, we're having now in front of all these like people of power who are traditional and a lot of them are older white men who grew up in a different way. But like, let's have like a tough conversation and then it's like, let's, uh, you know, like, let's get on this podcast and like, let's talk to, to you. And like, let's like see, let's have like interesting conversations. Like, you know, like how, like, how do you feel in terms of like your, your workplace, your other job? Like, you know, like yeah. what's the diversity there? Like, what's the impact? Is there, is there a opportunity to be like, Hey, like what's our hiring practices? Like, what, like, what are we, what are we looking? I mean, it might look great already. Like, I have no idea, but it's just sort of being thinking about it and being thoughtful and forcing people to be thoughtful. And then like the other thing, which we, we sort of talked about too, like with the families, like everyone has like that mm-hmm. relative that says something problematic from time to time. Like, you know, like I got it in my family will say something about like, and it's just like, you know, like you sort of just bat your eye, like you let it go. And then, and I'm not saying necessarily you got to fight every battle, but like now I know though, like it, I mean, Kennedy can't speak, honestly, if she says one word, but like one day though, when that happens and she's around, like it, even if I don't like talk about it with my family member, I like got to talk about it with her. Like, yo, that is not okay. Like yeah. we just like, she's senile. So we let it go when, when grandma says it, but like, I just want you to know that no one thinks that, that, that is okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think, um, you know, it's interesting because, so I, I grew up North of Seattle and like, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that like Seattle's, well, maybe it's not as diverse as it used to be, but it's, it's at least like a pretty progressive city. Right. Yeah on the west coast it doesn't have a lot of like the historical baggage that other parts of the country have um and i I grew up in like a i mean a a great place to grow up nice suburb um kind of like a a rural area and you know i felt for the most part like everyone had the perspective of like all people are created equal you know, and like we, we didn't have a ton of black kids in our school, but like we did interact with like kids at other towns and I don't know, it was just never an issue. And then as I got older, I, I did realize like, nah, there is like a, there's racism here, <laughs> um, you know, and in a weird way, it was like, well, man, you know, how, how much are you willing to stand up for? And it, what I found was to someone that I had no attachment to it was a lot easier to be like, yo, don't, don't say that stuff around me. Like that's, that's not cool. Cut that shit out. Right. As you get closer to someone 
it does get a lot harder to make that correction, right? Yeah. Because on the one hand, it's like sometimes like you don't want the fight, which is now it, it feels like laziness and it feels like taking the easy way out, especially like with everything that's going on, you look back and you're like, oh man, like I missed an opportunity to do what was right. And I actually feel like some shame over that. Um, you know, and, and it's like, yeah, to your point, it's like how many times just for the sake of just like letting something go to not have a confrontation that's uncomfortable, have you just let something slide? You know, um, I think about it a lot with my kids uh, all the time. It's like, what, what sort of example do I want to set in every yeah. facet of my life? Um, and I think I was talking with my brother about this, like the best thing, cause he, he's a, uh, you know, he's a fun guy, but he's, he's a little more, I don't know. I don't know if shy is the right word, but he's not like outspoken with his beliefs. Like he's never going to post anything political. He's just not that kind of guy. And he's like, you know, my take on all this is like, I just want to lead by example at home. You know, like I want my kid to know what's right. The people I interact with, I want them to know where I stand based on my actions, how I treat people, how I interact with people. And I was like, I get that. That's great. Um, you know, and so like, I certainly want to do that at home with my kids what I imagine will be harder in the future is when you do interact with people who maybe make a comment, even after kind of all this goes on, it's like, I will really feel responsibility to say something. Not that I didn't before, um, you know, but now it's like, nah, man, you're, you're giving up little inches of ground that are like stopping everyone from moving forward. Like by, yeah. By letting those like little comments, you know, go unaddressed, I I'm just by being complicit, allowing um, this racism to kind of just continue continue to exist, yeah. you know. So I don't know. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be. But that's a, and that's also an example too, though, too, right? Like mm -hmm. you know, like by not saying anything, although like you know, like might not participate, not agree, but like what is like what message is that too, like? you're right. like right. you know like it's sort of okay to say it in like like around like you know like i don't know i honestly i honestly really don't know and it's tough i mean it's tough it, it's tough to but you got like no i don't i don't have the right answer i like on it but i i just do know though like kids you could talk to them about more than like you originally thought. Like they pick up on more than you think. Mm. Like that's what I've learned, even like from a young oh, like, yeah, yeah. like they like definitely pick up on more than you think. And so you can like you could start treating them in a little bit of way of like like race isn't something that like you know like that they oh like you know that's not something they deal with now. Like I think you know my kids don't get the luxury of waiting until they're in college to like fully discover hmm. racism and how to deal with it like when they're mature high school people like they yeah. get like they're in it from like day one so like you know why can't your kids like learn mm -hmm. about it? like and i don't mean you like like you no, 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 you're calling me out <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, like like that's the thing it's just like the the ability to um learn about it about race and racism and not having to experience it is like a true privilege right yeah. uh and so like i feel like that should start super early i i agree and uh 
you know, just the, going through this whole process, our oldest daughter, well, our only daughter, but our oldest child is, you know, five and a half. And we were kind of like, man, how do we address this with her? Because the spark that ignited all this is just like, it's so terrible. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. You know, and so yeah. like anytime you communicate anything to a kid, you got to like try and put it in terms that they can like understand and cope with. And kids are capable of a lot more than we give them credit for. But we were like, no, like we need to set the stage now. She she needs to be aware of what's going on, at least in terms that she can understand. And she need to un understand that like there is a right way to handle these things and there's no place for racism. And what and, and it's it was interesting, man, like trying to explain to her what racism was you know, you had to break it down in like really simple terms. Um, I think she gets it generally, you know, it'll, it'll obviously take time. It's such a complex subject, but like when trying to like break it down to her, she's, is got, like, she's got Sonia's brain in her. So like, I think like she's she fine. might be all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. But it was like trying to explain it. You're just kind of like, fuck, this is so crazy. You know? Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. but the next time though it's gonna be a little bit easier when you talk to yeah. like Kenny and then you have to talk to Cannon like you know like you, you like it just because you have started already like each time it's going to be a little bit easier. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. Like I'm like like <laughs> it is not the same thing at all. But like you know like talking delivering bad news when I like had to tell someone like their family member had died like the first time man like it is me rambling for like 30 minutes not 30 minutes but like three minutes not trying to get to it like well like we did a lot of things you sick like the heart stopped we restarted it and like oof, like i know it's tough like you know and then like now like now i'm just not that it's easy but I, like i just realized it's like it's straightforward they want to hear it like whether like me rambling for 30 seconds to try to like save them the bad news a little bit longer does yeah. it only is only only prolongs it for me and them but like you just start to get the words like every single time you do it and like unfortunately it's something that with this COVID thing I had to do more than I would like but you yeah. just start to get a little bit more facile what to say it doesn't become easier the top the conversation is never easier because it's a tough topic but the words come a little bit easier. Your thoughts form a little bit clearer and you can get, you could get further each time, I think. Yeah. You know, and, and talking about your profession, like, because you're, you are, you're a doctor, right? And, and you're at the University of Michigan. And I know that you've actually had to like spend a lot of time in Detroit though, right? Given everything yeah. that happened. Like, do you, do you still encounter like just, you know, just like blunt racism or is it more you encounter kind of these um, like tongue in cheek slights, so to speak? Yeah, um, I would say the like the the majority of the stuff now is like sort of like, oh, like I have been mistaken for the janitor so many times <laughs> like right. that, like, you know, like I just like walk in a room to like, mind you, a patient who like I operated on yesterday, like I did their surgery, uh, like, you know, I walk into the room and like they're handing me their food tray because I think like I'm the guy who's cleaning up their food tray. And I'm just like, yeah, no, not me. <laughs> like, and it is like, 
And so now I'm like starting to become like a more senior resident. So like I lead some of the teams in the room and it's like so funny. Like I'll go with the like intern who's like the first year resident or like a second year resident. I'll go in the room and I will uh, start telling the, talking to the patient, telling the plan. And then they'll be asking the questions to like the first year resident who's like sitting next to me. And I'm just like, you know, cause like they look like it's a tall white dude. And like, they think that's the, like, that's the guy in charge. And I'm just like, no, like it's me. <laughs> yeah. But and so like, that's most of it. Right. Like I, you know, I, I have been fortunate enough or not unfortunate. Like, you know, I've never had anyone be like, um, um, like, I don't want you as my doctor. But it happens though. Like our call, like our the Michigan call center, um, you know, they had to give all the operators training because patients would call in and be like, "Oh, well, like I don't want a black doctor." Like hmm. not not talking about me specifically. Not like they are like a new patient. Like I need a doctor for X, Y, and Z, and just like make sure they're not black. <laughs> and it's like, like you're like, yo, what? Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, so like, so that it's different. Like, so I, I know that exists. Right. And like, and I know some of these patients are like some of the people I'm taking care of. And, you know, like you don't want to make judgments, but like sometimes when like they're running in like with like a make America great hat again. And like, you know, not that that necessarily implies that, Mm-hmm. But like you just like it like it gives you pause sometimes when you um, and you're trying to figure out like what this person kind of thinks of you. Um, but most of the time, though, like because you're like in such a position of power and you're like the one making the medical decisions like they like they don't say anything yeah. outwardly uh, to me. At least I haven't experienced that. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you, and how, how are you doing on time? Oh yeah, I'm good. I don't know if anyone's still listening to us, but like, yeah, I'm fine. doing good. <laughs> um, you know what? What do you make of all like? Because I feel like now I'm gonna like put my own opinion in here a little bit. Like the peaceful protests, it's like awesome. You know what I mean? Like it's unity. It's people like marching for a cause. It's like the spilling over to riots that like is is really making me feel some anxiety. It's like, oh shit, man. It's like it feels like it's it's detracting potentially it, well, yeah, I'll just say it, it feels to me like it's detracting from like the positive message that we're trying to send and it's giving an opportunity to people who want to maintain the status quo the ability to say like, yep, see, like you know what I mean? Like, look, look at the way that uh, all, all these people are looting and rioting. Like, you know, they're, they're asking for equality and like, look at, look at the way that they're behaving right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I know that's obviously I'm making that statement because it's like, I, I don't agree with it, but like, you know, what, what is like your take on like the way that everything is kind of unfolding, like specifically yeah. like the rioting and the looting piece of it. Yeah. It's tough. I, um, so, uh, like, I guess my, like, the cleanest answer is, like, I personally wouldn't riot and loot, but I 100% understand the feeling and the sentiment and the people, for the most part, who are doing it. Um, I think when you are over-policed, you get live in housing, don't get access to good jobs. Don't well, First of all, you don't get access to good education. You don't get access to good health care. 
There's no well-paying jobs in your area. There's extra police attention mm-hmm. and you've been oppressed for so long and no one is listening to you. And then you see you get policed and get handcuffed for potentially using a fake $20 bill, a cop murders a guy mm-hmm. on camera and live TV and it takes four days for an arrest. Like I, that level of anger hmm. that that can cause is, um, you know, like it's something, the feeling of like what will get your attention. Like if it takes me burning down everything for you to listen to like what I am saying and let you know, like, this is not okay. Hmm. Like I get it. I a hundred percent, like I hundred percent get the feeling. And so like, yeah, like no one like wants to see it burn down. Like no one wants to see people hurt. Like people would love like the people, peaceful protest. But like, I mean, you know, like, like, I, like after Donald Trump was elected, like people marched on, like there's the women's march and there's all those things. And like, so like, it's nice. And it's like, and you think about like what has actually changed, but you know, like you riot, you start turning stuff up, you start making people uncomfortable. Like, like, like things like that force, like the guy gets arrested, all the cops get arrested. Like, you know, not saying that one led to the other, but it's just like, you start thinking about it and it's like, what, what more like people have been protesting before, like people Mm. have had peaceful protests before nothing has changed. People, like, you know, Colin Kaepernick tried to take a knee, like, you know, that's a different sort of thing. But like people have tried to do it in so many different ways and no one wants to listen. And so like, yeah, like then they go rob and loot because like it's not about the, you know, I, I think I posted uh, James Baldwin said this, you know, it's not about the physical thing that they're looting, like the TV set or whatever it is, like, you know, like it's inconsequential. The value of that stuff is probably in the grand scheme thing is inconsequential. Mm-hmm. It's like people just want to be seen. Like, you know, like you just like kept ignoring me for so long. Like you've pushed me to the point where like, this is how I have to get your attention. Yeah. And, and so it's tough. So like, like I said, like, you know, like I, it's not me, it's not my, the way I want to do it. I think it, I think though the people who use the riots, whose conversation is like, oh, like it's really bad what the cop did, but the riots are crazy and you have to stop. It's like, well, like that's, you have the emphasis on the wrong thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, Like it, it should be more of like the riots and stuff should stop, but police really need to stop killing people unarmed. Mm. Mm-hmm. And like, and, and so like, I, I think the the riots are a distraction for the people who in general, the people who want to talk more about the riots than anything else are the people who don't want to actually deal with the issue. And the riots are a convenient excuse for them to say like, this is actually the real issue. Like that's not the real issue. Mm-hmm. Like the real issue is the, like, there weren't riots before this video went on and no one got arrested. People aren't rioting every day. So to be like, this is like some systemic problem that is, it's yeah. like, not, that's not, that's not it. It's like they're riding for a reason. Like you got to fix the reason that they're riding and not worry about stopping the riots. Mm-hmm. Because then if, if all you're focused on is like stopping the riots and then like wait until like this guy gets off for murder, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> well, like, I, I, I feel like, 
you know, one of the best things that I've learned, um, you know, it, I, I don't know to what extent it's learned or to what extent it's just, you know, like part of my makeup, but like consciously taking a step back, whether or not you agree with an action or the way someone's behaving and trying to understand like what's driving that. No, you can uh, tell you have kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? And I, I've talked about it a little bit on the show, but like, um, and I, it, it's a big point of emphasis for me in doing this and I plan to um, do more around it, but like, you, you know, like my, my dad had mental illness and like, we didn't ever talk about it for a lot of different reasons. And I never tried to show it, but like, I would just be torn up inside. But people yeah. would know. And so I just I always had this feeling like, man, you just never know what someone's going through. Yeah. And that's like one very isolated experience. But like it's taught me what you're seeing on the surface is largely just a symptom of like some other root cause. And it's probably worth investigating like why that's happening. Yeah. So in watching these riots, I'm right there with you like in a perfect world. No, I don't want that. I, I definitely don't want to see anyone else hurt. Like I, I don't think most people, if you would ask them, like certainly don't want more violence to be get more violence and more deaths. Like that's, that's not what anyone wants. But if I take a step back and say, and again, not being able to direct relate, but like, man, if you have had this pent up frustration and you felt like you haven't had a voice and you felt like no one is helping, like, how frustrated and angry must you be? And for that to spill over, I'm like, okay, I can, I can see the cause doesn't mean like anyone's condoning it. Um, you know, but it's like it, it, to your point, if you focus on just stopping the riots, which I think everyone would agree, like we don't want the riots to continue. Yeah. Like, we can't lose sight of the bigger issue. It's like, well, what is causing this? Like, what is the actual underlying cause that is causing this symptom to flare up? That's yeah. kind of, you know, like that's kind of how I'm, that's kind of how I'm feeling about it. Um, you know, and I, I wish, like you said, that these previous uh, peaceful actions that have been taken would have been enough to push the needle and, and again, in no way like condoning violence. It's like, man, fuck, man. Sometimes you got to mix shit up for yeah. people. To and so it'll be really interesting to kind of see what comes out of this. Yeah, and like, and that, and that's the thing. Like, it, it just, it is. I can't imagine because you know, fortunately, you know, the, the direction my life has taken. It's it's been great, you know. I've been very mm -hmm. fortunate, and so, but like, I you know, I know definitely, I definitely know of people who like live like below poverty line, like how tough it is and how like they just feel like they can't catch a break. They feel like mm -hmm. the system is against them. And in a lot of ways, like they're a hundred percent right. Like it really is like, I mean, um, like, on, like seriously, you think like this, I mean, don't want to get too controversial, but like you think of the amount, like studies have shown like the amount of drug use in white communities is equivalent to like poor minority communities. Hmm. It's just looked at differently. It's looked at like, oh, it's recreational. Like they do it to have fun. Like, I mean, like we went to college, like if you had DEA agents like coming in to Princeton every week, like, like it, like people would be in a lot of trouble. Like that's the thing, that's yeah. what I'm saying. And like, and honestly, like it, you know, like, like I'll say the same thing. Like I've had it like in med school and so like, it's the same sort of thing. And it is like, but 
because you're in a sphere that is sort of protected where it's like people look the other way or like they don't ask too many questions, like it's fine. The laws around it haven't changed. But like, yeah, like if you over police, you put a bunch of people in a low income neighborhood and then like a bunch of police in a low income neighborhood and they go searching for stuff like, yeah, they're going to find more criminal activity. But like for some reason, when it's like a 16 year old black kid in a poor neighborhood, it's not like experimenting a kid blowing off steam or just having fun or like growing pains. It's, you know, Hmm. criminal behavior that needs serious jail time. But like, you know, you get caught in college, you get a little citation for, you know, like dorm misconduct. Cause like, it's just seen like the behavior, the same exact behavior is just seen in a different lens. Yeah. And so if you live in that world where you know, that like it like things are you're at that disadvantage and then now like the like the, you get a breaking point where you're just like no one is listening no one is caring about my plight mm. uh like this is how and like and this is a small group of people and like i don't really think that like the riots you know i i hate that the riots are overshadowing like for some people, like the actual message of like, what's going on. So like, I'm not like sitting here, like, like let's ride and burn everything down. Yeah. But like, I'm also just not like, I'm not going to be out there condemning it being like, Oh, like let's like, we gotta, we gotta get all these riots to stop. I'm like, no, we gotta get the police killings to stop. And then I think the riots are going to fix themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, man, it just, it's, uh, it's so much to unpack is how I feel, you know, and it's, it's just so complicated because there's just so many issues to try and like take a run at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, from like a white person's perspective, it's, uh, you know, the way, the way I can speak to it, it's not lack of caring. It's lack of necessity to act. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think we all can relate. Like life is just difficult for everyone. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, like your problems might be small in comparison to someone else's. Um, but like in your, like in your world, like it feels big and you're just, sometimes you're just trying to get through the day. So I'm like, unless you have like a real external catalyst to like get you to take action, a lot of times, like you're just not going to do it. And I feel like we now have a big external catalyst that is causing people like me and other people to like wake up, you know, like it's like, ah, shit. Like, no, we need to address this. And like, I need to stop being a bystander. Um, because my lack of action is, it's almost kind of like we were saying earlier by not correcting someone when they step out of line and say something, it's you almost in a way you're like giving it a little bit of like credence, you know, like, yeah. And, and so I kind of passively just letting this continue. You're like, no, it's okay. It's, not that bad someone else will solve it like i don't know man it's it's really i feel like making folks like myself you know like be like nah we gotta we gotta finally like raise our voice step up and do something yeah and so that like again in a perfect world that that's this moment right like that's this um moment that's a turning point that things 
that there's enough people who feel this way um, that won't go back to being the old way. That won't go back to being like, it's okay. Like, even if, you know, like they're not clearly not going to be protesting the rest of their life, but like for the rest of their life, when they think, when they hear politicians talk, they have to address these issues and say what they mean about them Mm. Um, for when they see uh, actions going on that is not right. They're going to think about it when they're at work or in their positions of power and they're looking around the room and they're like, yo, this room doesn't look diverse. Mm-hmm. Why not? And they're going to go try to fix it. Like, I think that's like what gets changes is when like people, like everyone starts thinking being like, yo, we have to look representative. Like, mm-hmm. that's like you know, like that's what, like when I, you know, now since when, like I sat on the admissions committees at my med school and now I'm on like the committee to get more residents. I look around and I'm just like, we are residents. The doctors should look like the patients we're taking care of. So like, unless we have, we're taking care of all old white male patients, like that shouldn't be what our doctor or surgeon pool looks like. Mm-hmm. And so like, obviously our surgeon pool doesn't look like all black males either so like i'm not saying like that's what it should be i'm just saying like it it, it, there should be more than me (laughs) yeah i shouldn't be the only one and so um yeah and so and and i think people get it i mean people definitely get it where i'm at where i work now like they like they're all on board like Hmm. the the importantly like the diversity committee is now it's not just a bunch of diverse people I mean, sorry, it's not a bunch of minorities. It's full of diverse people. We have like a bunch of white people on the committee. Like they, like, you know, like they're as, they're as into it as anyone else. Hmm. And like that, like that's like true progress, right? Like they care yeah. about it as much because like they wanted to change as well. And like, then that's how like things started making difference when it's not just the minorities or the only people who care. It's other people. Yeah. Ah, well said, man. So uh, we've been at this for a while. Any, yeah. any, any parting thoughts? No. Anything, do I get a, any, 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 any questions left unanswered? No. Do I get to ask Sonia section after this? Oh yeah. No, oh. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to dig in deep. I love it. My favorite part. I just wanted, <laughs> I meant to ask you that before I should, that was one of my prerequisites. Like I'm not That's signing the release waiver unless I get to ask Sonia section. Yeah, man. We'll get to run it by my wife going. Um, yeah, man. Absolutely. Well, dude, Glenn, thanks, man. Like I said, uh, you know, it, it's like, I don't know, just this conversation in general, like it just, I feel out of my depth um, because I, I, you know, I felt a lot of pressure. Like I really wanted this to be a good conversation. And quite frankly, like I just it, probably I like you in some ways, I'd imagine, like, I just don't know where to begin. Um, yeah. and, and I think you said something that actually really stuck with me you know, I, like, I felt like I didn't have the vernacular, right. I didn't, I didn't know what to ask or really what to talk about. And that's just like a sign of like, well, I probably need to get educated. Um, you know, so like this conversation has certainly helped and that's something that I'm going to certainly take away from this, but yeah, thanks, man. I just, I just appreciate you being willing to do this. Yeah, man. White fragility, how to be an anti-racist. Two great yeah, books. I'll, I'll, I'll post, I'll post to both. Yeah, of those. Link, link them to your show notes. I'm going to tell them. You already, you're <laughs> pro. You know how to do it. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, we'll definitely have you back again. Um, and actually, if anyone wants to follow you, where, where can they do that? Oh, so I'm on Twitter at 
Doc Walk. And um, yeah, that's the main thing. It's, yeah, on Twitter, Doc Walk. Awesome. All Try right, buddy. Personally, I hear you. I hear you. All right, man. Well, uh, dude, Glenn, it's been it's been awesome talking to you, man, and and thank you. Glenn, mommy, you better go ask mommy, daddy. <laughs> All righty, welcome to the show, Sonia. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, <laughs> welcome back, man. What a couple weeks, huh? Yeah, crazy. I know. I know. This has been. Uh, a trying week for the entire country and it was so nice to have Glenn on. Yeah. To have this conversation. Um, because you know, for me personally, Glenn is someone I trust is someone I sure think a whole heck of a lot about. And you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of eye opening. You know, this is something that we've never talked about. Yeah. Ever. It's crazy. Yeah. Cause he's one of your close friends. Yeah. And not that, you know, we only, ever had surface level conversations, but even, you know, between two really close friends, like this just issue of race is something that I guess, I don't think we avoided it per se. Um, but we just didn't talk about it. Yeah. You know, that um, makes me extra sad though, yeah. because after hearing that conversation, it's something that he consciously has to think about every mm -hmm. day. So it's sad that like, he's had that burden your entire friendship, his whole life, but like for your entire friendship and you guys have never talked about it and made me really sad. Yeah. And that's probably a lack of awareness on my part, you know, thinking that we yeah. didn't need to. Um, and I think that's kind of, you know, as I, as I sit with everything that's going on in the country, it's uh, the need to realize that like we have not maybe come as far as we thought we had. Yeah. And recognizing like, even though it's not something that I'm seeing in my day-to-day -day life, which I think is probably a lot of people across the country, mm -hmm. it's, they don't think about it because they're not seeing it every day. Or to your point that, you know, someone like me, like I'm not carrying that around all day the same way like Glenn is or, or other, you know, black Americans are. So, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, what I thought was really powerful was just being able to like, well, as best as I could, just shut up and, and try to listen and, and get some perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know you took a bunch of notes and you had some thoughts. Yeah. How, how did I you thought, feel about the show? I thought one of the more interesting things he said was that like, while he was obviously really upset about George Floyd, yeah, what was really keeping him up was the Amy Cooper situation in the park, right? In Central Park. But that makes sense to me because like George Floyd's crime was arguably far less than a woman saying a man mm. was a, like threatening her life. Yeah. So like had the cops come in and it was cops like the George Floyd case, yep. it could have been just as bad for this man who was, like you said, a Harvard grad just trying to bird watch in the park. Right. Yeah, how how quickly could that have spun out of control? Yeah. And, you know, I, I thought about it after hearing Glenn say that. And you go back and, yeah, that woman, I mean, she just put on a show to, to mm -hmm. plant that seed in the yeah. operator's mind that, like, there's a black man here. Like, I'm, I'm shrieking. Like, I'm, you know, yeah. insinuating I'm being attacked and under threat. Like, 
no matter who comes into that situation, you're going to come in on high alert because like the data that you just got from the operator is that like a woman's being attacked and she's, you know, in a dire situation. Yeah. And then you throw on top of that, the potential prejudice that an officer could come in with not saying every officer would by no means, but mm-hmm. you know, like it, let's, we got to be honest. Like there's the reality that that could happen. It's disgusting. No, it's really scary. I thought that was eye opening for me. Um, yeah. And like you said, it's a bigger problem than we realize because that's a, she was supposed to be like a, a supporter of Obama, someone who was mm, like progressive, progressive or, and or perhaps yeah. liberal. Yeah. And that's like, and that was her reaction and she did that. Yeah. So like, what would someone on the other end do, you know? Yeah. It's just scary. It is scary. It is scary. And I think, you know, he, he said a bunch of things and I, I, I don't want to recover them because he, he shared how he felt and I'm super appreciative of that. But there were things, there were things that I think are really important that I'm going to try and take from this moving forward. And, and number one, like we do need to just engage in more conversation. And I think, yeah. you know, you there's a lot of... um. I don't know, I guess you could say activists, but just like people in the black community in general being like, you need to listen, Mm -hmm. right? So it's like, okay, like, what does that mean? We need to listen. And I think what it really is, is like recognize like, you know, you don't understand and you don't understand because we just don't have that experience, right? So you need to recognize like anything else that you don't have experience in, like you need to like sit and listen and and hopefully sit with it and try and come out of it with some new perspective. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which is not always easy to do because we all bring into it like our own baggage. Yeah. White, black, Asian, Indian, doesn't matter. Like wherever you're coming from, your experience, your history, like you're bringing baggage to the table. It's important to sit and try and like hear someone else's perspective on something Yeah. and hopefully come out of that a little bit more of an involved, evolved person. Yeah. Another thing Glenn said that really struck me and I guess it kind of ties back to the Amy Cooper thing is he said, I spend a large majority of my life trying not to be threatening to white people. Yeah, I know. Isn't which is like terrible. Oh my God. That like just made my heart sink because like Glenn is like one of the sweetest, most thoughtful, kindest people we know. Mm-hmm. Like we, we had Harper when we were all really young, our oldest daughter Yeah, and Glenn was single then. And he was like your only friend, one of your only friends to send her a gift. And he was like a single man in his early twenties. Yeah. Like he's just so thoughtful. And like to think that he has to consciously try not to be a threat when he is so far from a threat. Like he used to think about that every day. Just made me so sad. Yeah. I know. I know it does. And, uh, you know, I think this is a good point too. You know, we, we've had the opportunity to spend a ton of time with Glenn, a ton of time with people in the black community, a ton of time with people, you know, from all walks of life. Some of that is like location, like living in New York. Like Mm -hmm. you can't go 20 feet without interacting with someone from a different part of the world or a different race. Like you're just exposed to diversity. I'm not saying it's perfect by any means or that it's some sort of utopia, but like there's just a broader set of exposure there. And I think that's one of the things Glenn said too, is like, you know, we just need more interaction. Yeah, Segregation, you know, in, in terms of legislation has been killed. However, like we're finding new and inventive ways to continue to isolate ourselves from each other. 
Yeah. And my thought is, you know, this isolation only brings about, um, you know, an opportunity for, I suppose, apprehensiveness and in some instances, fear. And it, it kind of allows within these isolated spaces for prejudice to kind of continue to go unchecked. Yeah. I mean, it's very rarely do you start to interact with someone of a different background and realize that maybe some of the initial thoughts you had are not correct, you know, or you, yeah. you start to like kind of build uh, some sort of like rapport with that individual. You start to like see, you know, that like, like I said, the apprehensiveness that you had before maybe was unwarranted. And it's like right mm-hmm. now when we're all just living our own bubbles, you just don't get that. Yeah. You know? No, that's so true. Yeah, this was, I wish that this, that we were on here talking about Glenn's skills as a surgeon or yeah, his ability to keep it tight after school. I know. Hot wife, but. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Sorry, Kyan. I didn't mean to, I got too excited for that. (laughs) But it's, I mean, I'm glad that we had this conversation with him because like I said, it's sad that this is something he thinks about every day and you've never talked Mm -hmm. about it with him or. Yep. But it's. I mean, going forward, I think it's good to take the time and have conversations with people about things that are important. Yeah. Well, and I, I hope what people take from this too, because one of my thoughts in doing it, and I've told you before, I was very nervous to do it. Yeah. Not because um, I'm nervous to talk to Glenn. And you're right. Like I, we will have Glenn back on and we'll talk about all the other amazing things he's doing that are no way, uh, you know, yeah. have to deal with like the fact that he's like a young black male in America because he's doing a lot of really cool stuff. But, you know, I was nervous because I felt like, okay, I want to do something important with this platform that I have. I want people to hopefully take something special away from it or at least some new perspective or like, Mm -hmm. you know what, like maybe, maybe I I need to sit and think about like my own um, feelings on the issue or maybe get educated more. Right. I felt like this pressure to like make it something special. And like, I think in hearing it back, you know, you can maybe hear some of like the nervousness in my voice or, but I think it's important to recognize that like this first conversation is not going to be easy, you know, and there's no right way to do it. I think what's important for people is like, if you're, if you're kind of feeling that tug, like, Hey, I want to do something or I want to be a little more active, or I just want to like try and gain some new understanding, like just take the first step, Mm -hmm. you know, and like, it's going to be messy. Like racism and prejudice is something that like our country has been battling with for hundreds of years Mm-hmm. It's not a quick fix, um, you know, but just you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And I'm proud of you for doing this too. Well, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, you know, thank you. Right, well, I'll just leave it at that. Thank you. But, you know, super thankful for Glenn coming on and taking the time to have this conversation. Yeah. I can't remember if he said it on the show. He might've been after before, but I was like, dude, are you, are you getting tired of, of friends like me who are white coming to you and all of a sudden being like, Hey, can we, can we talk about this? Or, uh, and he said, no, he's not super encouraged by it, you know, because it shows people care. Um, but I think something that's important for especially white folks (laughs) who do care, you know, it's important that you come educated as best as you can. Mm -hmm. Don't put it on your friends who are minorities. Don't like, expect them to be the ones to educate you on racism. Yeah. Do some of the homework yourself. We're going to try and link to some of the resources that Glenn mentioned. And there's a lot of great stuff floating around. 
Um, you know, but try and educate yourself too. Mm-hmm. Don't put all, I, I, that's something I have heard and it makes a lot of yeah, sense. Yeah, I've to, seen that a lot. Don't put the onus on your friends who are, who are in that, you know, the African-American community to like educate you on what racism is. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's exhausting as well. Yeah. Uh, but no, I think this is uh, a good, important conversation. I, I really hope some people took something from it. I know I certainly did. Mm. And yeah, it's just one very small step in what I know will be a long journey. But hopefully over time, you know, we get closer to where we all want to be. Yeah, I hope so. Any parting thoughts? Um, I mean, I, I had a few more takeaways. But Ooh, okay. I don't wanna, we don't want to make it too long. Yeah, no, that's okay. If they're important. No, come on. No, I just, just something to... Please. I thought was interesting just because like in your job, you interview a lot of people too. And yeah. one thing Glenn said was if you see two resumes that are similar oh yeah, and like one's a black guy, one's a white guy, mm-hmm. you have to think that it probably took a lot more for the black man's resume or black applicants resume to get in front of you yeah, than it did for the white guy or white applicants. That's true. I keep saying guys, women too. <laughs> women too. Women get women work as well. Uh, yeah, no, that's true. And, you know, I think part of the problem too is it's uncomfortable to recognize that you have an implicit bias, right? Like, I I think people who'd consider themselves to be thoughtful and, and, and believe all people should be treated equal, like they probably don't also, they they don't like sitting with the fact that they might have some implicit bias that they're Mm -hmm. acting on without realizing it. You know, like a, a resume is a perfect example of that. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't think I would treat those two resumes any differently. However, the data shows that people do. Now, I don't have, the, you know, the details of the study in front of me. So for me, what I took from that is like, yeah, when I see two resumes, at least taking a second to recognize, like, am I treating these the same? Is there anything that I'm doing that is maybe causing me to treat one differently than the other? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and to your point, it's like, hey, do I recognize it for, uh, well, it's hard. I don't even want to touch that. But trying to like kind of take the time to over, make sure you're manually overriding some of these implicit biases. Yeah. So that you're creating an opportunity where everyone has a fair shot. Yeah. And I'm not letting like some baggage in my history, you know what I mean? Play yeah. a role in that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that, uh, I mean, the company I work for is super progressive and I've been really proud of the way that they've responded with all this, trying to educate folks. Um, mm-hmm. I'll just say I work at live ramp and it's a wonderful company and uh, I would be interested to hear how they tackle this. Cause I know they make a real, um, concerted effort to make sure that it's, we're like an equal opportunity employer. Mm-hmm. I wonder, I, w- I would be interested to hear how they do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good point, Something though. Something to look into. What other takeaway do you have? It's okay. We can go long. People want to check out. They can check out. Um, let's see. What else did I write down here? Oh, the feeling of being out of place is constant yeah. for Glenn. Mm-hmm. And a lot, like he said, when he's with friends, it's not that way. But in most situations, that's how he feels. Which yeah. is like we don't have to think about that most of the time. Not that we don't get uncomfortable in situations but it's something that he's consciously thinking about all the time. Yeah, I know. And again, that's just part of that. It's why it's important to listen. Yeah. I've known this guy now going on, I don't know, 13 years. Mm -hmm. I didn't, if I'd ever thought it, uh, I wasn't thinking about it now. Yeah. 
you know? So yeah, that's, that's again, like why it's important to have that perspective. Like it just for those, uh, folks in America who are in a minority. And in this instance, right, we're talking about, you know, black Americans, like you just recognize that like the way they interact with others in society is different than your own. And just, you know, try and be understanding of that. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing too. Something he said, like this idea of white guilt, like at least as Glenn explained it, and I'm going to read that book that he sent. What was it? White fragility. Mm-hmm. It's not saying, Hey, feel guilty about what you've accomplished, but like recognize that we live in a country where systematically it's, it's held or systemically, I suppose is the, is the proper way to say that it's, it's held a, a certain portion of our U S citizens down and we need to recognize that's happening. And I kind of feel like it's incumbent upon an individual. If you want to be a contributor to our society, like we, we have a stake in making sure that all people have like an equal right um, and an equal chance to succeed. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, yeah, again, not feeling guilty about like the things I've accomplished through hard work, but recognizing like, Hey, there's people in our country that like they have to work a whole heck of a lot harder mm-hmm. or the place where they're coming from is a place where it's like, you know, they're, they're, they're running the same waste, but race, but with like a, a weight attached to their vest, their vest. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So we'll see. I really hope it comes from this. I think there's a lot more conversations happening now yeah. than I remember in my lifetime. Yeah, I hope so. I really think that's true. Especially within the white community. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of people that do care. There's a lot of people that do want change. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I were talking about this. It could just be the, the circles we run in. I don't think it is. Yeah. What What was that called? The echo effect? The echo chambers. Echo chambers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we see that a lot in politics, right? It's like if you're only getting the opinions of people who think like you or you're only listening to outlets that think like you, like... Mm-hmm you're not getting exposure to new ideas. You know, you're just, you're, if you have a bias, it's just getting confirmed because you're only interacting with people who feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really, I really think that it's a lot more. I think so too. People in the white community that, that absolutely believe, you know, that we're all created equal and that we all deserve equal rights. Um, An opportunity. Yeah. Opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Well, anyways, I, I am hopeful. This has been a really tough time for us, for our country, especially, you know, for black Americans, those who are feeling like they don't have a voice. So, you know, we just got to keep taking small steps and try and do our part, whatever that may mean. Yep. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All righty. Uh, well, we've got another really good show next week. We're going to get, uh, we're going to, we're going to dive back into something a little bit more sports specific. And I'm not even going to tease next week's guest, but it might be. He doesn't know who it is. No, I do. I do. It might be a very prominent member of the CrossFit community. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, Sonia. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week. See you next week.